Welcome, everybody, to the Patty G Show. I'm your host for this evening, Patty G. I'm here with Scott Godin of Access Partners. We're going to talk a little bit about banking, a little bit about acquiring said bank. We're going to talk folding clothes, washing said clothes, and learning to deal with individual people's perks and quirks <laughs> along the way. I was um, wondering where you were going with <laughs> <laughs> we're going we're going somewhere with it. But before we get started, just a shout out to our sponsors, Alvarez Construction and Triton Stone. We are super excited to have them on board and make sure you stay tuned for the end of the episode. And we'll give you a little bit more about what they do and how active they are in the community. But without further ado, Scott. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. We've been talking about it for a while. Yeah. When you're talking about folding clothes, my wife's probably watching going, he doesn't fold clothes. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he has much. no idea how to fold clothes. <laughs> he forgot. <laughs> but you used to fold clothes. I have laundry fatigue. <laughs> yes. So, so, but before we get down that rabbit hole that is folding Oof. clothes, let's do a little bit of a refresher as to who Scott Godin is. So, uh, I am a career banker, about 20 years in the business. I grew up in Hammond. Louisiana down the road, uh, came to LSU on an equipment manager scholarship, which thankfully paid for school. Uh, got to travel with the uh, football team during the last year of Coach Leonardo and the first few years of Coach Saban. Been everywhere in the SEC twice. Twice? Twice. Drove a U-Haul most of the time there on late Thursday evenings. Got to pass the air brake test. Really? Yes. What, what's the air brake test? So, like, bigger vehicles have air brakes instead of, yeah. like, drum brakes yeah, yeah, so, yeah. to be able to drive the big <clears throat> LSU U-Haul. Well, now they have an 18-wheeler, but anyway, it's a, it's a different story. But used to be student equipment managers. We had to go get our air brakes licensed so we could drive that thing across country to Kentucky, Florida, Virginia Tech, you you name it. I've, I've driven there. Wow. So, like... Did you have to get a special license to drive this bus, this yes. truck? Yeah, get your air brakes license, which is a special. Oh, I know there's a special license. Yeah, special license, a brown one. It's a brown one. Okay. Do you still have it to this day? I have a passenger, yes, a chauffeur's license now. Gotcha. Um, so my wife owns a limousine service. Okay. So I, uh, okay. she encouraged me for years to go get it. And one day I broke down and went and got it and I passed the test. So I have my chauffeur's license. So hey, if you can pass a test, why not get it, right? Like Jim Carrey. Like Jim Carrey <laughs> on Dumb and Dumber. A limo driver. <laughs> okay, so you've you're your career banker. Mm-hmm. Um, we're here for something called Access Partners. Yes, Access Partners is a uh, holding company that was formed for the purpose to acquire Delta Bank shares, which owns Commerce Community Bank, which is headquartered in Oak Grove, Louisiana, which is about forty five minutes northeast of Monroe. Okay, so a little a little north of the good old Baton Rouge. Yes, about three and a half hours due north ish. Uh, also have a presence in Southeast Arkansas, about 20 miles from there. So they're in two states. They've done a remarkable job the last 20 years. Um, if you think back 20 years in the economy, we've seen a lot of different environments in the economy, good, bad, and indifferent, and they've done a wonderful job. So thankfully, uh, they, they fit the bill for myself and my business partners to uh, acquire them, hopefully. Well, before we get into the acquiring of the bank and why somebody would go out and buy a bank. Mm-hmm. I want to learn a little bit more about your back history, where you, we, we, you briefed at it with being the equipment manager for LSU and going to scholarship as an equipment manager, which I did not know you could get a scholarship <laughs> to do such a thing at a university. Yes. That just, like, what, what is that process like, you know? But let's, I will, let's go before that and work into that story of what you do in high school? What kind of a kid were you? Sure. So I, uh, I, I grew up playing ball my whole life and uh, played played football in high school. And I got to be a senior. And uh, I was a 2A Catholic high school, St. Thomas Aquinas and Hammond over there. And my dad asked me, my dad uh, was an internist for 30 years, but did sports medicine uh, as a hobby. Uh, he was Southeastern's team doctor. He actually spent the summer also with the Kansas City Chiefs in 1970. Spend a summer doing what? Oh, uh, so as a trainer for the as kids. A trainer? Yeah, okay. yeah, before before he got into college and went to med school. But uh, anyway, he asked me uh, if I still want to be uh, you know involved in football, and I said I do, but I don't want to play anywhere smaller because I left it on the field. And he said, do you, "Did you want to look at this program at LSU that you can possibly earn a scholarship?" And I had no idea. I, I told him I, I really wasn't interested in being a trainer. I took the the, the non science major, right? Yeah, biology. Uh, and so he said, no, it's a different program. Go talk to these guys. And I went and talked to Jeff Boss when I was 17 and a half years old. Uh, changed my life. So like pre-senior? Uh, yeah. 
yeah, I was in high school still, and I just rode up to LSU on a, on a random Tuesday and uh, talked to Jeff Boss, who was the longtime equipment manager at LSU, uh, who the locker room's named after now, uh, but uh, got a, a tryout, so to speak. And Wait, you have to try well, out so, for this? so you don't automatically get scholarships. They don't give scholarships away to incoming freshmen. So I had to do a trial semester uh, as an equipment manager. And, and thankfully, luck would have it. A couple of guys ahead of me uh, graduated and filled a, and, and left open a scholarship space. Uh, and so I thankfully, I, I, I proved my, my worth over a semester and, and got, a, got a scholarship uh, the next semester and got to uh, got to work a lot, but also got got to. They, they pay for school. So I spent uh, Coach Gennardo's last season and the first couple of years of Coach Saban's uh, season doing that. So what, what I mean, what is that? What is that involved with doing an equipment manager? Like what all do you have to do outside of driving the U-Haul? Like you said, with air brakes, <laughs> what all like so typical, obviously it's, it's it's enough to get a scholarship. Typical for. equipment managers morning is you, you, you get there for morning work at 5 a.m. sometimes. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's early for a college kid. That's very early for and, a college uh, kid. You start doing laundry, and uh, if you've done your job the night before, you, you started some laundry before you left. So, and you moved it over to the dryer. So you go pick up the laundry. That's usually the coaches close out the dryer at five ish, and uh, fold it neatly because there's a uh, guy about five foot seven uh, who's a head coach for a long time when I was there, who uh, absolutely liked his his clothes a certain way laid out. And tennis shoes and such, and you you make sure that uh, that coach's fridge has plenty of diet coke for their seven thirty morning staff meeting, and then if you don't have a seven thirty class, uh, you you typically get to catch a nap until your eight thirty, uh, unless Scott Cochran wakes you yelling in the weight room, but that's a different story. Uh, so <laughs> you uh, you go through class and lunch for the day, and then you get there about one thirty two o'clock in the afternoon and uh, get ready for meetings, team meetings. And uh, at that, that point, we did not have the separate football facility. We were dressing out of the locker room, and we had to take buses over to the, the fields over there across Skip Berman Drive. Oh, wow, okay. And so that's where, another, where the air brakes came in as well because you had to drive a big school bus full of, full of football players about a mile, mile and a half. So, like, as the equipment manager, you had to go drive, like, the big tour buses, or were we just, like, a plain school bus? It was a 25-year-old school bus. Oh, wow. Yes, and so air brakes also. So had to drive that uh, around the corner, make the route, drop the guys off the front gate. Uh, you work with one of your assigned coaches. I, I got a wily 27, 28-year-old Will Muschamp his first year at LSU as a linebacker's coach, luck of the draw. Uh, and uh, you do that for a couple hours of practice. Then you drive those guys and your bus back to the locker room and you, you start some more laundry and then uh, you do it again the next day. And then eventually – on a Thursday evening, you uh, you get to do helmets. Or I don't know if you know this. LSU has a a, a new shined up helmet every every week they play. We uh, stripped all the decals off and all the snaps out and the medals and clean it up real good, buff it up real good, put a new set of decals on there and, and change out anything that needs to be changed out and fix uh, out some shoulder pads and other equipment that may need to be fixed before the games on Saturdays and. You work during the games, whether you're running balls on the sideline or holding something for Coach Saban or, or, or another coach or helping guys make sure the right personnel is going into the game, whether that's you know three wide, four wide, five wide, heavy, double tights, you, know, you, you name so you, it. You learn, you learn a lot about the game, and you learn a lot about little well, – if, if you want to avoid getting yelled at, yes. <laughs> yes, you, you, you learn quickly uh, what your job is. And, uh, and But Co- Coach Boss, who is our supervisor, actually uh, ha- had a good uh, – Good point of view about that. He said, don't worry about it when they yell at you. Start worrying when they stop yelling at you. <laughs> wow. Good point. That's a very good point. <laughs> yes. So, so how long would it take you from start to finish for a helmet? Just depends. Usually, you, you I mean, you get assigned five or six different helmets. Depends on the brand. Uh, I'll tell you, a Rydell helmet is a little easier to do than an air helmet because the Rydell has a kind of a uh, about a half inch raise where you're supposed to put that perfect LSU stripe down the middle. And then the two purple ones on the side versus like a shutter and air brand helmet where you don't have a raised uh, area where you can't line it up as easy. So I would tell you about an hour a helmet. An hour a helmet? Yeah, maybe 45 minutes. It just wow. depends on how good you are, how many you've done or what kind it is. So, um, you know, if you start helmets after practice at 530-ish um, on a Thursday, you may be out of there 9, 915, 930, uh, depending okay. on how many helmets you got and, and – how dirty it is and that, that kind of thing. So you, you've got this very heavy sports involved background mm-hmm. that's kind of been bred into your like and when you because when you're at LSU, like they ingrain everything into you, especially in the sports program. 
It's kind of like being in the army. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If, if you're getting up at 5 a.m. and you've got to do all these different tasks, that's definitely like a very arm, army regiment. You know, it's great. You get to spend a lot of time with each other, and uh, it, it really prepared me for life. I definitely learned some things in my finance classes and accounting classes, but I learned a lot more things uh, working with folks starting at 5 a.m. and late into the night and, and driving across the country. And, and <laughs> yeah. just you have to, uh, when you get to away game sites, you have to pretty much set up the locker room the way it was back at home. So, of course, we bring the, the, the wind bar that you tap on the way out and you really stimulate them being at home to make them feel as comfortable uh, as they were here. Right. So make nothing, great. nothing foreign. Mm. Great experience. Wow. Great experience. Paid for school, met a lot of great people and, and learned a lot of, I would describe to use intangibles along the way that I guess I didn't realize I was learning. Yeah. I mean, just learning how to be okay with change. I'm sure at the last minute. <laughs> Learning to not forget something so you don't have to turn around and drive all the way back to Baton Rouge to ne- grab something. Never done that. Have you done that? I mean, thankfully not often, but sometimes you, you have to adapt, improvise, and overcome. And those those SEC towns have, you know, Home Depots and Lowe's and, and other stuff you may you may need to uh, to grab something. Or I'll tell you this, the SEC, um, I may be a little biased saying this, is a first-class organization. And uh, no matter if you're at uh, Kentucky or, or Florida or Georgia, uh, that other staff there helps helps a great deal. Whether it's wow. needing a laundry uh, assistance or uh, if you forgot a face mask at home or a wrench or whatever. Wow. So yeah. then how do we go from being an equipment manager at LSU on a full <laughs> scholarship, which in my mind is like, wouldn't you just progress within that career to go to an equipment manager for maybe a professional league? Some people do. Uh Got has some awesome friends that did. Uh, Mike Bonio, otherwise known as Bones, uh, did that for NFL Europe, which we were jealous about his internship over there in Barcelona uh, when, oh, we were, yeah. when we were in school. Uh, and I had a college roommate, uh, Josh Brooks, who now is the athletic director at the University of Georgia. Um, I kind of kind of took it from there. But no, I got I got to be a junior uh, in the in the program. And Jeff Boss, who is just a prince of was a prince of a man. Uh, I'll tell you how selfless JB was. JB, uh, whistle wire work, got up at 4 a.m., got to work and just loved being there. And he developed, unfortunately, brain cancer towards my sophomore, junior year. And uh, this is the guy with stage four brain cancer. My junior year called me in his office and asked me what I want to do with my life. And I, I told him it, it wasn't necessarily this route, but I wanted to use the business degree that I was working hard to get when we were flying home from the bluegrass miracle and people were high five and I was studying for that econ test. So I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to use this degree. Uh, yeah. so he said, well, look, you need an internship for your resume. I said, I gotta be honest with you. I don't really know what an internship is either. I was 20 years old. Yeah. He said, well, it's, it's, it's a, it's a job you put on your resume that's related to your degree that you can perhaps launch into a career. And so he said the Tiger Athletic Foundation has a game day parking coordinator internship available. You know, some other guys that were a little older than you came through this program and, and did that. You should apply for that job. I said, so I'd be in charge of game day parking for football. I am 21 years old. I have no business being in charge of game day parking for football. Then he reminded me that I could handle Coach Saban and Coach Muschamp and Jimbo Fisher yelling at me. I can handle parking cars. I said, you know, you're right about that. Um, and so I got it, thankfully. And uh, I met a lot of people during the internship. It was a lot more about park than parking cars. And it was about meeting the right folks and learning that skill set that I guess I needed to, to learn uh, while getting that resume, uh, you know, on the internship on your resume. And uh, a, a John L. Daniel, who is now uh, at Hancock Whitney, I was busting tables at the uh, TAF uh, basketball suite my senior year. Uh, trying to earn some pocket change before I graduated. He came up to me and said, you know, I've got to know you during your internship. I think you'd make a good banker. Really? I said, I don't know what a banker does. Is that like an accountant? He said, no, but let me show you. Not quite. <laughs> Not quite. Not quite like an accountant. No, but uh, he, he showed me the ropes and got me an entry-level position with then Bank One, which which morphed into J.P. Morgan. And I started at Uptown New Orleans on the corner of St. Charles Avenue in Jackson. Uh, and it was Start to my twenty-year career. Wow! Yeah. So straight from LSU to being able to go into a bank and start as an out a starting position, the largest bank in the country. Yeah. No, that's that's no. not a joke. You know, that's not a joke job for sure. And that's that's something I try to preach to a lot of fellow classmates while I was at LSU, and also still like people who I meet are still in LSU. Is the university is so well known, is so well connected. Utilize the assets at your disposal, right? 
utilize your professors, utilize the faculty, utilize your fellow classmates. Like you're not just going there to get a great education. You should be also going there to network and expand your network. You know, people ask me all the time, what'd you learn in school to teach you about banking? And I have a hard time answering that, but I usually go back to, I, I learned how to work and play well with others. Yeah. And that you need that with, regardless of what career path you're going down, you have to be able to work well with others. But you're right about LSU. Look, LSU, I might have my purple and gold glasses on, but it, it is a first class place. Um, it, it is what you make of it, just like anywhere. And uh, I, I, it changed me for the rest of my life. And yeah. You know, it opened doors that I never thought would be able to be open just because I, I was a tiger like those other guys were. And they gave me an opportunity. And I had to I, I thank John L. Daniel, who got me that first job in banking. And I told him it, it, I wouldn't be where I am without you. And he just he kind of jokes and says, I opened the door. You walked through it. I said, yeah. well, thank you. you. You've got many people there at the university, both in-house and on, from the outside that are more than willing to help people out in whatever way they can. I would challenge anybody to compare different universities and the ROI you get with an LSU degree. Yeah. It's it instantly you have name, you have name recognition for you going to that university. Got me a job at the biggest bank in the country. Yeah. So you're at this job, the biggest bank in the country. You're down in New Orleans, right? Mm-hmm. Where, where does this 20 years take you? So I, uh, I was working for J.P. Morgan, which, which became J.P. Morgan from the Bank One acquisition. And I, I got into the brokerage and security side. I got my, my Series 7, Series 66 investment license, which is a stockbroker's license. And I uh, okay. got that because I had an awesome uh, financial advisor who uh, really helped me and, and molded me and mentored me and encouraged me to go that route within the bank. And I did. And uh, at the height of the financial crisis, um, I was, uh, I guess, just young and, and, and naive enough to uh, agree to to leave Chase uh, to go follow a couple older guys away to a bank on the North Shore that was having some issues. Uh, they were a $400 million bank, which is an average size community bank. Uh, they said we have 80 to $100 million in non-performing loans. We have a cease and desist order from the FDIC and we need some help. Yeah, so let's let's break. That was a very full <laughs> sentence right there with lots of mm-hmm. terms that not everybody's really familiar with. So, four hundred million dollar bank. What exactly do you mean by that? So, banks' uh, total assets, uh, typically, an asset for a bank is a loan, right? Right. So, what's going to make them money? Correct. Uh, so, about about four hundred million dollars, let's say, in loans to to keep it simple, uh, and eighty to hundred million dollars of those loans we're not paying. Which is a pretty substantial amount. Which I mean, you're almost like, at 25% right there. Right. They had problems. And they called me and two other guys at, at Chase on the right day. And uh, I said, yeah, sure. Sounds great. And so... Uh, Tough I, day at Chase? No. <laughs> some red tape, like moving a battleship, I guess. And, uh, you know, uh, I went over there and I was, uh, I grew up in Hammond. So they assigned me to uh, work on the Hammond commercial loan portfolio. And I did that for a few months and we were, we were getting turned in the right direction. And the guy who was in charge of the turnaround of that bank who came over with me from Chase called me in his office and he said, you know, what do you know about Reg E? And I said, it has to do with electronic banking uh, regulations. And okay. I have a credit card and I took a class one time and that is the extent of my reggae that knowledge. That is my reggae knowledge right there. Completely in a, in a nutshell, that's my reggae. That's my reggae knowledge. And he said, so you, when, as an equipment manager, you work you know, with Coach Saban. He said, and so you're familiar with the process he talks about all the time? And what is that process? You ever heard the process? Coach Saban talks about the process. Yeah, you're talking to a, a guy who likes watching sports but does not have okay. a sports history background. So Coach, Coach Saban is a, is a huge believer in a very disciplined process uh, you know, don't look at the scoreboard, only focus on your behaviors. And if your behaviors are consistent and correct, the scoreboard will look fine. Uh, and so when he asked me that, I, I got a little nervous and I said, why are you asking me questions you know the answer to? And he said, well, go down the hall. The guy who was in charge of the credit card department just walked out, quit, gave no notice. And part of our probation with the federal regulators is having to do with that credit card department. So go, go, uh, Go employ the process down there that, that you saw at LSU and uh, see what you can figure out. Report back tomorrow morning. Wow. Awesome. And so I walk down the hall and I do what I can to triage it and come back to him the next day and say, I've got good news and bad news. Which one would you like first? He said, give me the bad news. I said, you got more violations than you thought. 
Um, you know, you're not collecting the necessary customer information that's mandated by the Patriot Act. Kind of a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Anything that ends in act, if um, you're not following, it's kind of a big deal. So you need to self-report that to the two FDIC examiners we have here on site five days a week. It's better you self-report it and they find it. Yeah, self-reporting is always, <laughs> always, always like it's like your like your parents. Like when you when, like like think about it when your when your parents always came and you said all right you can tell me the truth now or I can find out the truth later because they know already they, yeah they, 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 they just want you to realize how important it is to own up to that mistake to test at front right and so he said what's the good news I said well the good news is I found a way out of this for you you're going to sell this credit card portfolio because you only have maybe 50, 60 cards and you're not making much money. And the contingent liability you're exposing the bank to, excuse me, uh, is not, it's not worth it. So he said, you're the, you're the manager of the department. I said, I, I know that, but I'm trying to tell you the right thing to do. Don't give me a job is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> don't give, don't let the bank have a job for me. So they eventually did that. And I, at that point I had come back to Baton Rouge cause I miss Baton Rouge. Uh, and I was I was working for Mid South Bank for uh, for Rusty Cluche and Troy Cluche, uh, managing their their, their bat, couple of Baton Rouge uh, branches for them, and uh, I was enjoying it. And uh, I started dating a pretty blonde headed girl from Plaquemine, uh, last name of Wilbert. And uh, about six months into dating, her her family mentioned to me, they said, "You know, we we have a bank." I said, "I'm I'm aware." Was that a strategic place? Go? I don't think so. Um, <laughs> just maybe conversation. So you're saying it was happenstance? Uh, so uh, it just happened. It just happened to find this Wilbur lady attractive. She didn't like me at first. Okay, all right. I yeah. had to get a mutual friend to convince her to go out with me. I bought a house in her neighborhood to convince her to go out with me. All right, that's <laughs> you either head over heels for this lady, or that's a very strategic move to get hard, in with the man. bank. I was trying hard, man. I was trying to get her to like me. I didn't even know about that bank at that point. Okay. All uh, right. All right. So anyway, anyway uh, so I, I did that for six months and we got engaged. Uh, and her family said, hey, why don't you seriously come consider coming over here? You've got some experience in some areas that, you know, we, we'd like some help with. Perhaps it would be a good fit. I said, okay. And so they did. They had the uh, a, a bond portfolio. So banks with their excess equity, uh, their excess capital buy bonds. They earn some extra interest. And when I was at Chase, I, I worked on their investment side, so I was familiar with that. So why would you buy a bond over lending the cash out? You would like to lend the cash out, but a lot of times banks have extra capital that they don't always have the loan demand for. Gotcha. And so they'll buy a bond, which is essentially a loan. Yeah. Uh, so I had experience in that area, and uh, I went over to work for my, 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 my now my wife's family's bank, uh, Iberville Bank. Uh, so uh, enjoyed it, and really, truth be told, that's one of the reasons we got to the point we are here today looking to acquire this bank because when I was there, I worked with a CFO. They outsourced the CFO function at that bank. A lot of smaller community banks don't have a full-time CFO. Really? Really. Why? Uh, they outsourced the function because, as you know, it can be an expensive role. Yeah, CFOs typically like to get paid pretty well You know, because more times than not, they have either an accounting background or a true CPA. And a lot of smaller community banks can't justify that salary and don't have really, I would tell you, enough work for that CFO to justify the full-time role if you're a smaller bank. So, you know. uh, so we worked with a guy named Jeff Fair, owns a company called American Planning Corporation. He's the outsourced CFO to about 40 community banks in the Gulf South. Oh, wow. Um, How do you have that kind of bandwidth? He has a staff. Okay. He has a staff. But Jeff, I would describe Jeff as a financier. Jeff's the guy in your finance class that finished his test 15, 20 minutes before you did. and Yeah, I did that for accounting. You, you would. You would. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I, the accounting was not my strong suit. I would, I, it, was, it was bad. Like I, I would I got to the point where I have to wait. Just so you didn't feel bad. For somebody to finish. So you didn't feel bad. And then I would walk out of the room. <laughs> You're that guy. You're that guy. So Jeff was that guy in finance. Okay. And... uh he uh, is the outsourced CFO for about 40 community banks in the Gulf South, uh, does bank uh, formations, mergers, acquisitions. He's done about two dozen of those. He writes the fairness opinion for a lot of bank sales that are required to make sure the buyer and seller are getting a fiduciary deal. So Jeff and I stayed in touch uh, after I, I left Iberville Bank uh, in my career, and uh, he called me up about a, uh, about a year ago, and he said, hey, you uh, – you still want to get in the banking business like your wife's family was for 85 years. I said, I am interested in it, but I lack the, uh, the detail of what or when. 
he said, well, well, you know, here's an opportunity. You should consider it. Uh, and so the rest is history. We're, we're marching towards finishing up this acquisition and uh, really excited about it. So how do you get to the point where it's like, let's buy a bank? <laughs> you know, like you, you, you and I were, were talking several months back and you said to watch the movie The Banker. <laughs> yeah, it's a good movie. Ex- excellent film. Excellent. If no one's watched it, I highly recommend it. It's a great movie, Apple especially TV. if you're interested in banking industry or just financing or just really good money lessons, you know, in general. It's a great movie. Um, and one of my favorite lines they had there was about they were trying to describe how a bank works to the guy who was a rookie. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had 30 days to teach him everything about banking, which is... Right, to fill in the position. Yes, right. is not enough time, obviously. And uh, I remember spoiler. they... they yeah, spoiler. Spoiler. <laughs> and they kind of looked back and said, explain to me how a bank works in three sentences or less. He said, well, a bakery makes money by selling bread for more than it costs to make the bread. A bank makes money for selling loans for more than it costs to get the money to make those loans. Actually, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's how it works. Right. And that's, you know, you're exactly right. So a bank is making money off of the cash it has on hands and lending it out. Right. So at what point do you do you look at a bank and say, we want to acquire that? You know, I, I've been really fortunate to to have a really fantastic book of business that uh, over 20 years that a lot of them became personal friends uh, and confidants. Yeah, that happens in any general business. You become friends with people that you work with. And you form relationships, especially in Louisiana, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that happened over 20 years. And, uh, you know, this opportunity became uh, aware to me and got brought up to me. So I, I spoke to those people who I formed relationships with over decades and uh, people I trusted the most and admired the most. We had always talked about doing this one day. You know, it'd be cool if we had our own bank because we could partner with a business the way we think a bank should partner with a business and be supportive. Especially like with business owners. Primarily with business owners, decision makers, that we feel like we could really be a partner. I always joke and tell people, you know, I wrote an wrote a op-ed one time, Know Your ABCs, Attorney, Banker, CPA. I remember that article. And it's a good so, article. And so if you think about it, People always talk about their CPA like they know him, like they know his family. They get a Christmas card from him. They're pretty close. Right, right, right. Sometimes they're attorney. It depends on what kind of business you're in. Yeah, it depends on the kind of business. Sometimes you don't want to, you don't want to know your attorney. Not a litigator. Because that, that, that means you're doing a lot of things wrong. Not a litigator. If you're yeah. forming an LLC and, and secretary of state, yes. Yeah. Uh, but you rarely hear the banker part anymore. You know, I can tell that, that people don't necessarily have that relationship that I, I'm, I, I'm lucky to enjoy with my clients. When I say, well, you know, who's your banker? And they name a bank. I said, no, it's not. That's, not, that's not a bank. That's as, as <clears throat> PPP has proved, Ooh. that is not a banker. That is a bank. And I think a lot of people through the PPP process found out if they had a bank or a banker. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, myself and a, and a lot of guys I worked with did a lot of PPP loans. Um and thankfully got to help a lot of those businesses. But you talk about relationships that went from good to great. And I hated the fact that we had to do a PPP loan in a bad time. But if you had a, even just a decent relationship with a client, it went from decent to great at the end because you really helped them out. Yeah. And that when, when, when all that went down, there were so many questions from clients, right? You know, I, I experienced it at the accounting firm level. And I'm sure you experienced at the lending level, right? Everybody just had questions. Yes. What is happening? What do I need to do? Does it benefit me? Is it going to hurt me? It was so new and it was so fast. And so you really had to be on call for your clients. And I used to kind of preach uh, on my social media and, and even just talking to folks, other bankers, your clients need to hear from you right now. They're concerned. They don't know what's going on. Uh, you know, this is something we've, it's uncharted territory for a lot of us. For everybody. For everybody. So you really need to be out front, not hiding under your desk. Yeah. So you got to be making the calls. Hey, here's what's happening. You know, mm-hmm. so those, those customers, you have a good relationship. And so uh, the folks that, that I'm partnering with in this said, you know, we see a need for a high touch, high tech business bank. Uh, and so we're going to, we're going to do this. You're going to deliver on that. You're going to deliver on that. So within that, I kind of want to go back to something you said earlier in the show. Um, You said whenever you were at, was it Hancock? It was like 
moving red tape, oh, moving a, a, a battleship. Chase. chase. There it is, yeah. chase. So trying to do something, trying to change something within the system, right? Mm-hmm. We can go back to Nick Saban's systems, right? How do you feel like the banking industry is really moving a battleship to get anything done or a large corporation in general? It's I, I not specific to banking. I don't think it's specific to banking. I think anytime you get to be larger, whatever you consider larger, uh, the more and more you get removed from being able to interact and relate to a customer base. And do I think it's fairly unavoidable? Depends on how big you get. A lot of times yeah. it is. So if you if you if your company grows from a small company to a medium company to a large company to an extra large company, odds are affecting change takes time and layers. And I don't know about you, but People's time has always been precious to them. I find in present day, it's never been more important to them. The, the most valuable asset anyone can have is time. And it's more so than it ever has been. Yeah. And so that is the focus and one of the inspirations we had is we need to, we want to be a business bank that takes advantage of a concierge level of consistent service with the latest proven technologies. There was an awesome article an American banker a few months ago that talked about the technology gap the last couple of years has narrowed so much that a $200 million community bank, which is a fairly small to medium-sized community bank, can have the same level of technology offerings as a $50 billion bank now. Wow. It's come that far. And you have the ability to adapt and change a lot, like lightning speed in comparison to a $50 billion bank. Talk about PPP. We had to. Yeah. Because things were changing. I mean, I remember the, the Friday before uh, we went live with, with PPP, where the bank I was at, um, the, uh, the SBA issued a 94-page executive summary change on Thursday. Executive summary. 94-page executive oh summary. Yeah. Thankfully, we had some very talented people in the bank who literally stayed up all night and didn't go to sleep that Thursday to make sure everybody was ready Friday to take PPP applications. Wow. So, yes, you have to be able to pivot. And like it goes back to that, you know, knowing what the customer wants, like with what y'all are trying to do with this new bank is taking advice from those in the community, those that are owning businesses and listening to them. You know, that's the major listening and implementing what they say. So, you know, you and I talk about this sometimes, you know, I, I like Marcus Lemonis, the prophet. Um, he yeah. talks about three P's, people, process, product in that order. Um, we we focused first on getting the people part right. And the fact that all the folks that are on the board of directors at the bank, uh, that they, they all are business owners. And I don't think that's by coincidence. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that everything we do in the bank comes from a place where a business owner can have input and say, you know, you should think about doing this to really help these people out. Or you should really not do that because that's going to mess them up in their business over here. Yeah. And sometimes with an unintended consequence, if you're not a business owner, but folks that are in the room that are business owners, uh, I'm, I'm thankful that I surround myself with those folks. And, yeah. and, and you've got some breath to that board, right? You don't oof. just have one or two industries that you're talking and getting their advice from. You're talking with people that are on a plethora of industries saying, hey, this is what we experience. This is what I've experienced the last 10, 20, 30 years. Sometimes 40. Sometimes 40. And it's just, we're, we're, we're tired of it. I, I know from firsthand, and I called you up about this when it happened. You know, I was, you know, at my current bank and I went to go try to open a business account. You try to open a new account. God forbid. Give them that. money, right? We're trying to hand you money. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to give you cash, okay? And I walk in and I've spoken to three different people to organize this. Because of COVID, they have special regulations. Sure, whatever. And you, you, I went to the bank and I said, hey, I need to open up a new, a new account. And they said, oh, well, we're from a different branch. We can't do that. I'm like, what do you mean? Huh? <laughs> different said, bank they, they, they said, I was like, exactly. Were you from a different bank? They said, no, 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 no. We're from a different branch. Like we're from, the, we're from a, a branch downtown on like this other street. We're not from this current branch. And it's like, look, I don't care what branch you're from. I've called people and I've said, I want to get an account open. Why can't you click a few buttons and open the account? By the way, people have said your beer is getting warm. Oh, um, thank you. Been talking too much, and 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 so for me as a you know as a business owner with the show and as a, as a personal banker, I'm like I, at that day I almost said, okay, great. Here, can I get a blank check? I'm pulling all my cash. Like at that <laughs> point, when you get well, so upset that you can't even get a basic product, 
uh, I, I remember when you called me, I don't know if you remember the first thing I asked you is, why did you even need to leave your house to open the account? Exactly. Exactly. It goes back to that technology conversation of the $200 million banks can have the same technology as a $50 billion bank, but do it better. Well, you know, and, and we don't, a few years ago, I think this kind of blended together. It used to be when people talked about tech, they had service type of companies and tech type of companies. Now the two have kind of morphed together. And, I, and we don't see tech as a replacement of giving good service. I see having the latest proven technology available to folks like you for situations like you described as a component of service. You have to have it as a part of service. You know, and then I went to a, a different bank. I didn't go to scratch it. I went to a banker that I had a relationship with and said, hey, I need to open a new account. What do, what do you need from me? I don't have any accounts at your bank. I just need, an, I need a business account. And within the matter of four hours, I had an account. Done. And it goes back to that people portion of your three Ps, right? Right. Have the people in place that are going to answer that text on a Saturday and say, I got you. Yeah. I'll take care of you. And then follow through with it. I mean, that is, is huge within it. Again, within any business, not banking specific. That's within any business. Nine to five is a myth. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's nine to five are for those that want to get that check and go home. It's the people that have an aspiration to do better is when you realize a nine to five is a, is a false reality. Oh, man. I tell about outside of nine to five, some of my favorite stories, and I'm glad to help. They're funny now, is, you know, Saturday night at nine o'clock, somebody calls you. I'm like, ooh. This is not good. This isn't good. It's a client. I'm like, uh, hey, what's going on? Hey, we're at dinner, and then my credit card won't work. Okay. Where are you? Well, it turns out, you know, out the country, uh, even though it's an expensive dinner, the limit was fine. Uh, just a security feature on a card uh, to make sure nobody stole your identity. Yeah. Uh, you didn't let us know you were traveling. How dare well, you? And so answer the phone first off. Right. And say, hey, look, it's just a security feature. You're outside the country technically. Uh, it's just a security feature the card has, company has on there to make sure nobody steals your identity and steals all your money. Give me 10 minutes. Let me call them up, give them my clearance codes, and, and we'll take care of you. So 10 minutes later, hey, you can pay for your dinner now. Um, that was a lot of dishes you would have had to wash. Uh, so a that, whole lot of dishes. A whole lot of dishes you'd have had to wash. Uh, I can't even imagine how many dishes you had to wash for that bill. But anyway, yeah. t- take care of somebody at 9 o'clock at night on a Saturday. And, and, and knowing, I, th- I think when people, when, when you get into this 9 to 5 mentality, this 9 to 5 habit, you expect to like be paid for every second you're at work, right? <laughs> and, and it comes to know and to look at the bigger picture. You know, you wouldn't be where you are today if you were like, oh, what is, it's nine o'clock now. Don't like, answer. Yeah. Like, 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 click, hang up. You know, mm-hmm. you wouldn't be where you are today if you did that. And those that live within that nine to five mentality, which there's nothing wrong with it. There's no, nothing wrong no, with, no. Showing, with showing up and doing what you're there to do. And at five, you're done, you're out. There's nothing wrong with that. But for those that are like just at their job board and want to do something more, you have to be able to be willing to answer that phone call on a Saturday at nine o'clock. I have been in many situations where I've been on a bachelor party and I've had to answer the phone call and be coherent enough to say, okay, yes, <laughs> what's going on and take a step away from the situation and say, what can I do to help? You know, and it's, it's, it's being willing to put yourself in those positions to where you are okay with answering an email while you're sitting on a, on a flight going to your vacation. That goes back to technology can serve as a component of service. Yeah. You know, we, we have ability now in banking where we, we can access stuff that from our house that we didn't used to be able to through secure links, encrypted security links. That COVID we, has shown we can adapt to technology. Yeah. Yeah, believe it or not, there are some banks right now that have tellers working from their home through secure Links, encrypted links. I don't. That doesn't surprise me in the least. Yeah, like that. You should be able to do that. There's yeah. no reason why you can't do that. Yeah, that's you know? if that's the only if the only positive thing came out of COVID is we had to learn how to think outside the box a little bit. Yeah, and so w- w- within that 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 conversation of nine to five and being able to work outside of those realms, people are asking on the Facebook Live, how do you balance work life? Is there a balance? Ooh, I need to get better at that. Um, there is. When you're away, you need to try to be away. Um, you need to put your 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 out of work message on on your email. Um, just kind of kind of explain to folks on your voicemail, or your email that hey, I'm gonna check voicemail or emails a couple times a day. Um, so you, I try to start my day early, 
so I don't affect family life after five. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, most days I get up at 5 a.m. and kind of work till 5 p.m. or so or so. Yeah, or, um, so. or so. Uh, As your wife sits there and texts you, <laughs> you were working till seven o'clock last night. <laughs> Oof, laptops. I can find, yeah. find me anywhere. Uh, so y- you do have to learn boundaries because at the end of the day, you turn around and, you know, you're, you're, you're a little guy like my seven and just, just growing up really fast. So it, really, it, it's that's up to you to set boundaries or the balance. Yeah. If you, so I know a lot of people that don't. Yeah, and I get I, I get it. I struggle. I don't do you know, it well. Like per, like personally speaking, like I struggle with that. Mm. You know, and, and like full disclosure, like I struggle with that ability to turn off that switch, right? Mm-hmm. To turn off that switch of okay, I'm away from the office. I need to be spending more time with the family, or I need not to reply to this email right now, or you know, this person's messaging me. I, I need to take time away and really be with my family and spend that family time. It's tough. You know, it's not a it's not a, a yes, no. Oh, I do this. I do that question to answer. It's you have to like you said, you have to find that balance. Personally, you have to have the conversations with your family, with your significant other, with your with your, you know, your parents or whomever. OK, what do I what can I do better when I'm not working to be more present? For me, it's taking the phone and putting it completely away. Like, I, I, like, like if I get home and it's just my wife and I are at dinner or something, that phone is gone for that dinner. Dude, I don't do phones at the table. And it's like, it's like, I'm gone. I'm fully here. I'm like, I, you get a hundred percent me. That is a weird pet peeve of mine. No phones at the dinner table. Yeah. No, I'm hundred percent with there with you. Just don't do it. It's not respectful to people around you. No, and uh, you should be enjoying the company my, of those around you. My wife taught me a great habit of a couple of years ago about keeping the phone in a separate room. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, my phone charges in a completely separate room. Uh, when you put it up for the night, put it up for the night. Read your book. Talk to your family. Yeah. That's an awesome habit she taught me. And, uh, and I learned, I, I took it a step further. Uh, my, my little guy loves watching LSU games. And so I was trying to do something on the weekend for an LSU game uh, the other week, trying to answer an email, a text, whatever, right, just trying to do a little extra work. And he kept telling me I missed a play. I missed a play. And I was like, you know what, I need to go put this thing down. Mm-hmm. And so I went and put it and charged it just because you don't want to miss out on those moments of that slam dunk or that home run that you just can't get back. Yeah. And it's for, for me, something I've done that's kind of a more tactical thing is if I know a customer or I know I'm going out of town and I'm going to be away from the office, be out of the office mm-hmm. and out of communication. In addition to that, you know, away email of, hey, I'm out of town. I'll get back to you as soon as I can. I tell those that I know, I said, look, if you need me. Call me first. If I don't answer, shoot me a text if it's important. Yeah. If it's important, shoot me a text that I can glance on my phone and I can see SOS. And then I can and then I can be, hey guys, I gotta drop it for five minutes and go solve the problem. If not, I'll get back to you when it's more convenient. I used to fall in the trap of should th- should this be an emergency, my cell phone is. And that's probably not the best practice. You've got your cell phone on you now all the time. Yeah. And then somebody can shoot you a text, somebody can shoot you an email, and I've you're going to get it. I've learned, though, have a, everybody should have a backup partner at work and say, you know, should you need assistance, call Charles Chasson at 225. And if he needs me, he'll, he, can, he can get me. Yeah. He'll, he'll, if I, like, and that's another thing. You have those handful of people that you know if they call you or they give you a text, you got to see what's going because something's going wrong right and and at to balance their that nine to five or that eight to five if something's really going wrong there may not be that perfect balance right and you've got to just like like the superhero movies when duty calls <laughs> yeah so the, the bank is is, be, is being acquired you are buying mm-hmm. a small community bank out in north louisiana mm-hmm. you're wanting to bring that level of concierge that many people in covid would drop their bank right now to go after. How are y'all planning on doing that? So it's all about consistency to me. I mean, you can say you're high end or concierge, you're great at something, but unless you do it consistently all the time, you're not. So we we plan to be consistent, if anything, and uh, think about what people call a bank for, if you think about it. A lot of times it's for a loan request or an account. Let's use a loan for an example. They want to know, how much they can borrow, how much it's going to cost as far as the interest rate, and how soon can we finish? 
right? So if you if you take care of those things from start to finish, communicate effectively, uh, and get it done for them in a reasonable amount of time, I, I would tell you 30 days or less. Um, I, I think that's how we run relationships over. Now, if you can't do something for somebody, don't drag it out for a few weeks. Let them know. Let them know. Yeah. You know, a, a short, quick no is a much better than a long, drawn-out no. That That's, to me, that's the best thing you can do to somebody. If you know at the end of the day. I can't do this. Yeah. You can't do it. Just let them know. Like, if, you, if you're not going to do something, you're not going to go through and pull the trigger on it, just, just say no. Like, right out the gate. Like, right. don't, don't spend two weeks telling me, I'm going to see, maybe, possibly, eventually, and then tell me no. And going back to relationship management, uh, what some good folks taught me, some good habits, talk through the issue of the request with them. Repeat it back to them to make sure you understand one another because the greatest barrier to communication is the illusion that it actually occurred. Right. Right. And then, you know, set some parameters on next steps. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, if you want us to do X, Y and Z, I need X, Y and Z from you by a certain date so I can move forward with this process. Yeah. And followed up with an email, text, whatever. That's I would rather ask somebody 10 questions that they get tired of me asking questions. But guess what? At the end of the day, I know exactly what you want. I know exactly what you need. And I'm going to fulfill what you want and what you need on time and deliver it to you, like you said, consistently. Yeah, we're, we're going to be a cut above and hopefully the same experience you, you, you would experience at a, at, at a high end, uh, let's say Four Seasons or Ritz-Carlton type of establishment. Uh, we want you to expect the same level of service from us. Right. With technology at your fingertips. With technology at your fingertips. Because think about that example. Let's run that analogy, whether it's a, a high-end hotel, Windsor Court, or whatever. You think service, but at the same time, when I think service too, I think obviously they're going to have Wi-Fi. Obviously, they're going to have an app. Obviously, they're going to have a service I could call down and get X if I need it. Yeah. We went and stayed at a hotel in Mobile for a wedding a couple of weekends ago. Yeah. And there was a, it's, it's on our app that we used to book the hotel. Mm-hmm. We used to get our confirmation. We can call the valet, the valet if we need to, and we can do mobile check-in. And you can apply for the, the mobile room key. And you have everything on your phone. You don't even have to go to the front desk. Service via technology. Yeah. it's Really, it's about service. What, why can't hmm. every business be there? Why can't every business be at the point where you can walk in well, use uh, a piece of technology and be boom, bam, done and out of there. And it's, it, and it's not limited to banking or even hotels. No. You know, I'll give you an example. My, my, my little guy Saturday evening, I told you, just absolutely wanted Raising Cane's, right? Yeah. No problem. You know, I'll, it's going to be good, tasty, correct. They're being polite at the restaurant. That's, that's service. People, process, product. That's service. You, you, you're going to go anywhere in the world and get a, and get a Cane's meal, and it's going to be exactly the same. It's going to be fresh. It's going to be correct. The people are going to be polite and treat you at the restaurant the way you want to be treated. At the end of the day, it's a chicken restaurant with limited choices, per se. For a reason. Right. But, I mean, are, are, is, is it a chicken restaurant or is it a service restaurant? I mean, it's a good question. Chickens are medium. But at the end of the day, they're about service. So same thing with our bank. I love it, man. Hmm. So as we, as we get to wind down the show, I'm realizing I'm winding down way later than normal. Ah, oops. Um, oops. So what are three lessons you've learned along the way? You know, you've been in mm. the sports world. You've been in the management world as a 20-year-old getting thrown into a department that somebody left. And now you're acquiring a bank. So what are kind of three lessons you've gathered along this route? Three? I mean, just... If we can limit it to three, I mean, I how many you want? First off, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, just, just accept that. I, I've walked into roles and you try your best to be that Boy Scout being prepared, but at the same time, nothing can substitute for experience. Mm-hmm. So first off, accept the fact you don't know what you don't know and ask somebody who's done it for longer than you. Yeah. You'd be surprised how much they're willing to share with you. Mm-hmm. Especially if you can make their life easier. Right. Yeah, another lesson I've learned is uh, be consistent, be punctual, be polite. You know, you, you'd be amazed if you do those things with people and, 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 and how much everybody was willing to, to work with you and root for you. And, and be transparent, like we talked about a second ago. Um, if you can't do something, say you can't do something. If I'm guilty of anything, it's sometimes it's stretching myself too thin to help somebody or make them happy. So sometimes you need to just kind of know your limitations. All right. At the end of the day, we're one person with 24 hours. 
You're correct. So what is something you did as a kid you wished you still could do today? Oh, man. Um, so I was a space camp nerd, right? So I went to space camp in a space academy. I thought I was going to be on the moon, man. Really? Yeah, I did. I thought I was going to be an astronaut, right? I, I, was, I was going to space camp, space academy one, heading back to space academy two. And then we went on this 5G simulator. Uh-oh. Wasn't for you? No, man. <clears throat> no, man. Uh, I found out what motion sickness was all about. <laughs> so uh, it's like, well, guess I can't be an astronaut. So to be an astronaut. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So what is uh, what is something you love about Baton Rouge? I love the fact that Baton Rouge is the biggest small town in America. It's a blessing and a curse. It can be both, but I, I consider it more of a blessing than anything because at the end of the day, it may be the state's capital city, but you can still stop and ask somebody for directions. Yeah, and they'll know exactly where to get you. They'll know exactly where to get you and where you need to go. And, you know, I, I like it for business, and you and I talked about this, and, and, and Baton Rouge, with six degrees of separations, you typically need about half of that, mm-hmm. right? To get to who you need to. I think it's a good thing to get to who you need to, but also I, I think that people's reputations follow them. I think it's a good thing because if you do right by people, that great reputation will follow you and people will say, hey, he took care of me. And it kind of keeps folks in check that, that, that probably need to be kept in check that, hey, you know, if you do somebody not good, it'll, it'll follow you too. Oh, yeah. So I like the fact about Baton Rouge that we are the biggest small town in America. Yeah, I, like I, I agree wholeheartedly with, wholeheartedly with you. So for the, the final question of the show is, what can I do to help you? Keep being my accountant. No, <laughs> you, you told me there. Uh, look, I, I appreciate you embracing the mission of the bank, that the fact that we want to be high touch, high tech. We want to deliver that constant, consistent concierge level of service with, and offer the latest proven technology in, in the spirit of service, which is why you called me that Saturday when you were frustrated and I was able to, to help point you in the right direction and help solve your problem. Yeah. You, you, need, you need somebody. Not something. We want to be the business bank of choice in Baton Rouge and beyond. Yeah. And I'm I'm eagerly awaiting y'all's arrival here in Baton Rouge. So, Scott, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks. I really appreciate it, man. I'm, I'm glad we got to get in the conversations that we did and cover some of the amazing topics that we're able to cover. I appreciate the time. It's been a long time in the making. Yeah, it is. And I'm also always appreciative to all the guests for waiting for their time to come on this show. Um, And I thank you for everybody else for tuning in, whether it be through audio or video format. I appreciate y'all as the audience and just consuming all the content. I'm also appreciative of the sponsors, Alvarez Construction. They build a lot more than a home for you to live in. They build a community and a place for you to achieve your dreams and raise your family. And, you know, going hand in hand with Alvarez. Our second sponsor is Triton Stone. You know, it's a woman-owned, family-led business that does a lot more than just provide stone. They are there with you every step of the way through new construction, through renovations, what have you. I'm about to do a kitchen renovation and they're going to be my my stone company. You know, they're going to be there with me every step of the way, design, install, and whatever else I need. And so with that being said, we're at the end of the show. Thank you all so very much for staying along with us. I'm Patty G here with Scott Godan from Access Capital Partners. And that's a wrap.